Hope everyone's having a good day. I woke up early and had my hot chocolate, so <laughs> I feel great. I think that I think it's the heat, guys. Honestly, I think you are subconsciously awoken by coffee, but I feel like hot chocolate would work for you guys too, because it works for me. Allie got me those little packets that you can put in the microwave, so <laughs> I've been great. Any of those early workday mornings. Um, so we're starting off this new year, and I'm going to ask you guys a question. Are you ready to answer my question? It's rhetorical, so you can answer it inside, okay? All right. Who do you want to be? Who do you want to be? This is me trusting that you're answering it on the inside, okay? Who do you want to be? Maybe your answer is you want to be a great mom, or maybe you want to be financially secure, or you want to be a great dad. Who do you want to be next week, next year, in 10 years, or in your last year? Who do you want to be? And I was thinking about this this year, starting off this year, we're two weeks in, you know? <laughs> thinking about it this year. Who do I want to be? So I don't know what your answer was. Like I said, maybe you want to be a great dad. Maybe you want to be a great friend. Maybe you want to be a business owner. Maybe you want to make your own schedule. Whatever it might be. Um, Clay said this profound statement last week that I have been thinking about as folks to Caleb and I the most, I think. I have been thinking about constantly over the last week. He said, you know, if you, want to be if you want to have financial freedom, it takes first having financial discipline. And he said, if you want spiritual freedom, you first have to have spiritual discipline. And I've been thinking about that all week because it doesn't matter what you want to be, if, you're, if you want to be healthy, if you want to be in shape, whatever it might be, it takes some form of discipline. If you want to have a great relationship, if you're single and you want to eventually have a great marriage, that's a long-term pleasure. But along the way, there's going to be a whole lot of temporary pleasures that you have to have discipline to not take on if you want to have the long-term pleasure. Health is kind of the easiest one to look at because we're all tempted by junk food and McDonald's, which I think is amazing. And I eat it all the time. I, I ate it last night. Um, Allie eats us out of house and home with sushi. I swear we spent $200 in sushi this month. And um, so I'll go get her sushi. And I'm like, well, if I get McDonald's, really, it's like I can get her another like roll of sushi next week. So isn't that so sweet? <laughs> I didn't mean it to be sweet, but someone said all. And I'm like, well, I am good. <laughs> that was just my financial discipline, honestly. It wasn't me being sweet. It was it's just financial <laughs> discipline. So it takes some form of discipline, whatever it might be. So today we're going to talk about some spiritual discipline. And I know, let's be honest, in today's culture, discipline isn't the word that excites us. As one Southern pastor said, we're a microwave generation with a crockpot God. You know, It's just not something that excites us to talk about discipline. So I'm going to illustrate for you guys a little story. I want you to picture a bee, 
All right, not a real bee because those aren't nice. Picture this like cartoon version of a bee. All right, look how sweet they are. You see how nice and sweet they are? I want you to picture this beehive off in a forest. All right, and this bee, Nancy, she's flying around, and Nancy wants to have an amazing life. Right? I feel like Nancy would like that. Look at her. She looks very sweet. And one day, a bear walks up. I would have Caleb come up here because he loves bears like Dwight Schrute loves bears. And um, this bear, I'm going to say grizzly bear. Caleb will get after me after the service. But this grizzly bear walks up wanting some honey. All right, and out of instinct, something stirs within Nancy. And to protect her home, she stings the grizzly bear. And because of its tough skin and the way that bees are wired, when it goes to pull its stinger out of the bear, Nancy dismembers herself and dies. She wanted to kill the bear, but instead the bear killed her. And the sad truth is, Nancy did not have a choice. There was nothing that Nancy could have done to not sting the bear because bees have this thing called a sting threat, meaning that they're biologically wired that when they feel or sense danger, they have to react. And in culture today, we have been told, we've been told that we're wired that when we want something, we have to react. <laughs> But the good thing is, is unlike the bee, we actually aren't biologically wired to take what we want when we want it. Even though culture is screaming at us, if you want it, get it now. We're not wired like the bee. We can actually make a choice to hold off temporary pleasures so we can receive long-term pleasures. All right, but it takes discipline, even though me personally, that is not a word that excites me. It's really not. I want it now, and I want it. That's why I can't, couldn't learn instruments. I was on that for like a solid week and couldn't play a song. I was like, this isn't for me. <laughs> I can't play a song. You know, I can go on Guitar Hero, and I am a hero, you know? <laughs> But I go take a lesson with Gary, and I was like, Gary, is this you? I mean, I've been here a couple weeks. I can't play a song. Just let me know. Have I, have I reached my limit with you? And, and um, he, he can say some hurtful things about how I did in guitar lessons, which I'm not going to allow him up here. But um, he says it was me. But anyway, I decided, you know what, music isn't my thing. So anyway, here we are. But we can make a decision to have discipline. So we're going to be going through spiritual discipline, like I said, and I'm going to contrast for you guys spiritual discipline against religion. All right, because I noticed when I started to think about discipline, it was so easy to get wrapped up in what people think religion is. So I'm going to go ahead and, um, and define what religion is for you guys. So when you read the Bible, the Bible says that pure and genuine religion is caring for orphans and widows. But how many of you guys know that language and words, they change over time, and they can mean different things? For instance, um, the best 
example I can give you is if I was to stand up here a hundred years ago and say, I am gay, that means something completely different culturally a hundred years ago to what it means now. Make sense? All right. So in biblical sense, when it says religion or religious, it's normally pure and genuine religion is caring for orphans and widows. But in today's culture, church culture, the word religion or spirit of religion is normally always negative. It's negative. It's like this judgmental, rigid thing. And whenever we start talking about discipline, I've noticed that it seems like the vast majority of the church has turned away and walked away from discipline in fear of religion. So we're going to talk about today how to get close to discipline without getting close to the spirit of religion. Sound good? All right, so I'm going to give you guys, this is going to be super, super basic stuff, all right? Honestly, it's super basic stuff, but we're going to talk about some practices of discipline, and then I'm going to talk about how religion will try to plant its seed in your discipline. You ready? All right, first practice of discipline, get ready, reading every day, reading your Bible every day. That sounds crazy, right? <laughs> All right. So I'm going to read you guys a verse, and then I'm going to talk about how um, religion can get in there. So this is 2 Timothy 3.16. I'm reading out of the NLT version for this verse. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us what, to, what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. I don't know about you, but this sounds like the type of book that I really want to get into. And this is um, 1 Timothy 4.13. It says, Until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Now, that word devote, I know that's kind of a common word, right? I'm going to read you guys the definition. The definition of devote is to give all or a large part of one's time and resources to. Let me ask you guys, what are you devoting yourself to? What do you give? Take a, take a look inward for a second. What do you give a large amount of time and resources to? I've noticed it's really common. I don't know if it's an American thing, if it's a 21st century thing, or if it's just a human thing. But it's really common for people to lay out this list of things that are most important to them, and then they do nothing to improve them or get close to them. They like put this list of long-term pleasures up, and then they spend their lives chasing after temporary pleasures. They say, the most important thing to me is having a good marriage. That's awesome. How much time do you spend in counseling and reading marriage books? Oh, I've never, never read a marriage book. <laughs> the most important thing to me is being a good mom and a good dad. And then they spend no time improving it. They don't go up to good parents when they see them and say, can you give me some advice? 
Or they say, the most important thing is that I'll find financial freedom. And then they never learn financial discipline. It's crazy. It blows my mind, but it happens all the time. And I'm thinking it could just be a human thing. So we have to learn to devote ourselves to Scripture. So that's your first topic of discipline. Your first practice of discipline is to read every day. Now I'm going to tell you how um, religion works, all right? So Mark 8.15, this is Jesus talking to disciples, and we really don't get much context for this verse, okay? We just know that they get in the boat, and they start to travel, and it says the disciples forgot to bring bread. And all of a sudden, Jesus repeatedly, say repeatedly, ordered them, saying, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now, I'm going to tell you, we are living in a time where the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod is rampant, all right? You guys know what leaven is? It's like yeast. It's this one little bit of bread that can get in and infect the entire loaf of bread. You know what Jesus was illustrating? He was saying, watch out for the spirit of religion and watch out for the political spirit. Because when it gets in, it only takes a little bit to affect the entire piece of bread. And we could talk about the political spirit for a long time, about how that has gotten into the church and it has completely wrecked it. It's crazy, but also the political and the religious spirit, they seem to go hand in hand a lot of times, but they get in and they affect the entire loaf of bread. So you've got to be really careful because the enemy is constantly trying to plant seeds. So when he sees, okay, they're going to start reading. That's how you hear the voice of God. God's going to start speak, starting to speak to you and all this amazing stuff. And he's going to go, how do I work in the midst of it? So this is what the first seed of religion looks like. Are you ready? Feeling like you are better than the people that don't. That's what the first seed of religion looks like. And you've got to be really careful because this seed loves to grow. Because all of a sudden, you start to see that the Word of God, it's almost like He just he speaks to you constantly as you read. It's like things start to eventually jump off the page. It starts to work within you. And then you start to look at everyone else, and you go, if they really love God, how could they not read this? watch out. And they go, they start to think stuff like, can they really be a Christian and never read? But the thing about religion is it's judgmental on everyone under you, but whenever you trip, you get the same kick. So whenever you trip and you don't read, all of a sudden you feel like God is upset at you. That's what religion looks like. That's what the first seed looks like, is when you start to make practices of discipline, when you don't perform, you feel like your relationship with God is now hindered. Like there's something in the way, like there's something that you need to apologize for now. Because now you're no longer reaching that 
that pedestal that you put yourself on. So that's what the seeds look like, okay? And you guys have heard me talk about this before, but the thing about a garden is once you start to till the ground and you get it ready to bear fruit, to bear plants that bear fruit, how many of you guys know that when you prepare the garden, that also leaves room for weeds to grow? So you have to be out there constantly picking. When you start, when you start being a disciplined person in your spiritual walk, you have to constantly be picking out religion because it loves to grow right next to the fruit. The thing about weeds, though, is if you don't pick them, they always outgrow the plants. Isn't that interesting? Do you know why they always outgrow the plants? Because they don't have to produce any fruit. The weeds are going to grow quicker than the plant because they don't have to produce any fruit. All right, so on to the next one. The next one we're going to talk about a practice of discipline. Like I said, we're going to keep it short, sweet, and to the point, super basic. My takeaway for you today is hopefully for you guys to walk out that door with a greater sense of discipline and the importance it has in your life than when you walked in, okay? The second one is to pray. I know that's crazy, right? (laughs) The second one is to pray. And I've noticed this like interesting relationship Christians have with prayer because obviously it's a form of communication with the Father, so everyone's different. And it gets really interesting. So we're going to read some verses. I'm going to start off by reading Matthew 6, right? In my opinion, Again, I know there weren't chapters in the beginning, but I feel like Jesus starts off Matthew 6, like just peeking into what religion really is. All right, he starts talking about how when you do good deeds, you shouldn't announce it publicly, obviously, right, guys? He talks about how people go out and they blow trumpets to get everyone's attention when they do something good for somebody. And he says that's the only reward they're ever going to get. Because how many of you guys know they're doing the right thing with the wrong heart, right? All right, then he switches in verse 5, and he stops talking about doing things for people, and he starts talking about prayer. And he says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, this is all the reward they will ever get. So what's the problem? They're praying, again, they're probably doing the right thing with the wrong heart. I watch people um, quote this verse and say, this is the reason why I'm scared to pray out loud. (laughs) It's like, no, that's not what the verse is saying. The verse is saying, you shouldn't be praying so people will think you're all righteous and holy. These people were going out and praying solely so people would look at them and go, wow, Caleb prays a lot. He must be so holy and angelic. (laughs) I know he is. What are we going to do? All right. He goes on in verse 7. He says, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again And again, now this is the context, get ready, this is the context for the Lord's Prayer. Just a verse later, he goes, hey, look at this, but when you pray, 
pray it like this. Our Father who is in heaven. He switches it to mean something in here. And I've watched people take this verse and go, see, we don't really need to just keep asking God for the same stuff. Like, why are you, why are you praying over and over? You don't need to keep praying. But the Bible says that you don't have because you don't ask. And I've watched this misconception come from this verse that's hitting at the point that you shouldn't just use fancy words and you shouldn't just say stuff in prayer so you sound like you're special or like you got your head on straight. The point is it's supposed to connect in here before it comes out here. And there's people that, this is what Jesus was illustrating, there's a whole lot coming out here that means nothing in here. And he was illustrating, it's got to mean something in here. Pray like this, our Father who is in heaven. He goes on, and this is Luke 11. This is verse 5. Look at that first line. It says, then teaching them more about prayer. So what is he talking about? Prayer. Good job. (laughs) Teaching them more about prayer, he uses this story. You ready? Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight. So this is you. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me, the door is locked for the night, and my family and I are all in bed, and I can't help you. Many of us in our prayer lives, when this happens, we turn around and go back to bed without any bread. We spend our lives going back to bed without any bread because we don't hear anything after the first request. But Jesus continues and said, but I tell you this, look at this, this has pondered me all week, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. I don't know about you, but I feel like the church is in desperate need of some people that would pray with shameless persistence of shameless persistence, and I tell you, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. There's this like calling, I feel like, as a Christian. There's something that I'm just trying, just starting to dip my toes into the water, that there is a call, I believe, on our lives to be shamelessly persistent. I mean, let's take a second and just think, what would our city look like if we were shamelessly persistent? 
I'm not really talking about just praying for like new jobs and stuff. I think that's important. I think if it's important to you, it's important to the Father and you should pray about it. But I'm talking about a shameless persistence about the things that not just affect your comfort level, but the things that will make a shift in the spiritual realm. I'm talking about things that will leave an impact on your children and their children. Imagine if we had shameless persistence that would bring prodigals back. If we had a shameless persistence about things like that, what would that truly look like? And sadly, like I said in the beginning, I've watched people walk away from discipline because they're in fear of religion. And most of the time, it's sad, but it seems to be true. When this happens, they turn away from religion, walk right past discipline, and they come and hang over in this false grace side, the opposite extreme. Now, maybe you're not too familiar with like a, the false grace message, but essentially what it is, is it's relationship with absolutely no discipline. It's me looking at my wife and going, I love you, sweetie. I love you, I love you, I love you. And her going, hey, will you spend Saturday with me? And me going, no, I'm hanging out with Amy. Who's Amy? Amy's this beautiful woman that I met. And Allie, if you loved me, you would want me to be happy with Amy. Are you telling me that your love has stipulations? Are you telling me you don't love and approve of Amy if I'm happy with Amy? That doesn't sound like love. You should love me because I'm happy. You feel that like equal disgust that just leveled up in the room? There's a discuss around that topic, but yet many of us live our lives like that with the Father. Remember, marriage was made to illustrate the relationship between the Father. Jesus said, you should love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I'm just speaking from a husband's perspective right now, but you should give yourself up for her. If things don't seem to be going well, have you tried dying? You have to give yourself up for her. And it's my fear that we're, we can't find the middle ground of discipline. We've watched this spirit of religion tear people apart. I've watched that um, like judgmental pressure to perform. You know, I'm talking about how that steed gets planted in people and it's like this false holiness all of a sudden. But I've also watched the other extreme. It's where all of a sudden you don't care what makes your wife happy. You don't care what makes the father happy. You look at the father and you tell him, if you love me, you would be happy with Amy. I wonder how many Amy's some of us have in our lives. I'm sorry if your name's Amy. <laughs> <laughs> 
Honestly though, what Amy do you have in your life? Is there anything in your life that you look at God and you would say, if you loved me, you would be happy? See, also the thing about the false grace message, again, discipline's in the middle. But the thing about false grace is there's no conviction either. Religion has a whole lot of condemnation. You can come over here for condemnation, which says, you're bad, you're messed up, you got to get it together. Convictions here in the middle, which goes, hey, we can do it better next time. Hey, there's more. There's more for you. And then you can go off to the other side where there's no conviction or condemnation and you're running down the highway with drugs. You guys remember that example? So again, it's your life. You can live it however you want. But it comes back to the very beginning of the message where I asked, what do you want and who do you want to be? If you don't, if, if that lines up with who you want to be, then live it. Who cares? But if, you want, if you're standing here today and you say, I want to walk in power, I want to do greater things than these. I want to watch the dead rise. I want to watch the sick be healed. I want to get to watch people be set free. I want to do the kingdom's work here on earth. I would urge you to get used to discipline, to love discipline. I, it's like a love-hate relationship, you know, but conviction, I truly believe, is one of the best things in the world. Do you know how beautiful conviction is? It keeps you from screwing up your life and not even knowing it. That's what conviction does. So we're going to take a minute. You guys can stay seating if you want to um, dim the lights. And we're just going to pray. Again, do not pray this if you don't want it. I don't, it's up to you. But I want you to ask the Father if you want it for conviction. God, I don't want to sway to the far left of religion. I don't want to sway to the far right of no grace. I want to stay right here in the middle where discipline is and conviction is. Will you bring conviction on my heart? Because I want to honor you. All right, so maybe you got a few things. Like I said, conviction's not condemnation. Conviction just goes, hey, we'll do it better next time. All right, so if you got some things, hey, we'll do it better next time. If you didn't get any things, then you might be close to the religion side. Then just be careful of the seeds. Just be really careful of the seeds, okay? So we're going to stand up and we're going to just chase after God for a couple more minutes. If you guys need to go, you can go, but we're going to sing a song.